Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So my interview today is with Bronwyn Hughes. She's the director of The Journey is the Destination. It premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival uh, this past September in uh, 2016. And, and Bronwyn and I were not able to connect there, and I'm so glad that we were able to uh, spend the time together uh, on Skype today. I think you're going to really enjoy this interview. You're going to love the film The Journey is the de- the Destination um, about uh, war journalist Dan Eldon. Uh, you'll find out all the information you need to on, on the website uh, we've got a few links there that you're going to want to check out, but, 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 uh, Bronwyn and I talk, you know, we talk about the film, but we talk about, you know, we talk about splash and ripple effect. We talk about this idea of, of no sense uh, of the other. We talk about this global tribe of, of people who get it. And, and I guess, uh, some of those who don't, we talk about creativity and wonder and, and, and about inspiration. And, and we talk about things like a journalistic voice and, and Dan, Dan certainly had a very distinctive one, a very passionate one. And, and here was a guy who was just so uh, taken by this childlike sense of wonder and, and desire to, to change the world. The phrase that I love uh, so much that Bronwyn used was, quote, a life of crowded hours, close quote. How, how cool is that? Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my podcasting. We're coming up on 300 uh, interviews soon. We're going to have a special guest. And uh, don't forget to rabble.ca for more information there as well. And if you want to support the work that I'm doing through Face to Face, you can do that. Uh, uh, links to Patreon on the site. Coming right up, Bronwyn Hughes and the film The Journey is the Destination. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by a very special guest today, uh, Bronwyn Hughes. Uh, and this time, I'm not in Toronto. Uh, Bronwyn's in Toronto. I'm uh, I'm in Cambodia. So how, how cool is that? We're here today uh, to talk about her new film, The Journey is the Destination. Bronwyn, thank you for your time today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Not not a bad connection for about what is it twelve thousand kilometers? <laughs> well, you sound like you're in my living room, so it's working. It seems to be working out pretty well. Let's hope let's hope that uh, plays out for us. 
So, uh, first of all, right out of the gate, congratulations on the film. Um, thank, thank you for that. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, what, what, what a story. What a remarkable, heartbreaking, tragically beautiful story. Well, the truth is that I uh, came across the story uh, years ago. We're trying to downplay how many years, but it's really been a long journey. But once you know about this story, it never gets its hooks out of you. So we couldn't let it drop until we've made the film. So uh, am I, is it correct to assume it was the world premiere at uh, Toronto International Film Festival this past uh, September? Yeah, and it was also the first time I'd ever seen it with an audience, which is kind of frightening and exhilarating all at the same time. But in the world of premiering, especially independent films, there is no better or bigger venue than the Roy Thompson Hall Gala that we were honored with. So it was pretty thrilling. And and what what kind of reception? Uh, good questions, good feedback. Were people engaged? Um. Well, I, you know, it's a very emotional roller coaster ride of a movie. So I am aware of the people with uh, the sounds of sobbing right. <laughs> around me right. uh, towards, I can't, this, this is total spoiler alert, but, you know, towards the very emotional ending, I know that there's that kind of response. We had a standing ovation and there's 1,100 people in that room. So wow. that's a lot of energy and. And, you know, there's no Q&A at a TIFF gala, but I am sometimes, um, actually, actually since TIFF been to a few film festivals, but I do have this repeating experience where people who saw the film sort of, you know, chase me down in the street the next day. And, and I was just in Manchester in the UK when this girl came to me and she said, I, I couldn't speak last night. I couldn't ask a question. I, I couldn't find my voice. I just went to a bar and sat there alone and, and, you know, have just recovered to talk to you now. But, it, you know, I think to move people in any way is kind of rewarding. Mm. And, you know, somehow um, that's what this story does. So so you, you must have learned. I, I know uh, Dan's mother was very involved in the project in, in a huge way. And, and I've had the opportunity and the pleasure of interviewing her, Kathy, uh, about five or six months ago. It was a delightful conversation. We had a great, great interview. But, you know, I'm kind of interested. You, you must have learned a lot about Dan, his family and, and friends and those around him. Where does this kind of, you know, he's really at home. You know, and it really comes out beautifully in the film. He's really at home helping others, wanting to help others, reaching out to others who who I would probably argue most of us don't even give a second thought to, really, or even a first thought in some cases. Where does that kind of, I don't know, global awareness or or curiosity or, you know, desire to change the world come from? It always, I find it so affirming and encouraging and and. and Marvelous, but also on another level, really deeply challenging. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I think that there's no doubt that Dan grew up in a family with Kathy Eldon and Mike Eldon as the parents in which there was no sense of other, meaning, you know, people of all kinds of races and creeds and and from the four corners of the earth would show up at the Kathy Eldon households. So the kids grew up sort of interested and curious about every kind of person in every corner of the world, like we say. Um, I think it's infectious. 
So it became sort of natural, I think, as a way of moving through his travels that um, he would arrive in a completely strange place but find some common connection, you know. Um, and and I think that um, getting close to people was what made him a good journalist. He really just had a people skill but an, an insatiable curiosity about um, things, you know, that he would encounter. Um, I think that the people who find his story get it too. We talk about it being a global tribe of people who find Dan's story and think, my God, that's the life I always meant to lead. And we even get, you know, leading up to the film, we would get right. letters all the time from people who say, you know, I just found this book and, and read about Dan and I'm changing my life. I'm giving up my dead end job and I'm going to, for example, one woman went to the Amazon to build freshwater wells and she's still there doing it now, wow. you know, and, Amazing. and the kids he took on safari, the first half of our film is the, what they call the STA student transport aid safari, where he got together 16 kids or actually there's less than that in the film. Cause we couldn't fit them all in, but he got together a bunch of kids from the international school. So, you know, from all over the world and they raised money by throwing, uh, concerts and selling jewelry and art and, and dances and then hand delivered it uh, after driving across five African countries in two Land Rovers, hand delivering it to the refugee camps and it changed all of the lives of those kids. So, uh, and they wrote about Dan, you know, expanding their horizons and making them see that they were capable of things they never would have dreamed possible before knowing him. So, I think that's the kind of effect he has on people, whether they knew the live him or have just read his super vibrant journals. Now people think they've met him when <laughs> they've right. never met right. him at all. You know? Well, you really get that sense in the film, uh, the way the characters developed and the way he plays, uh, plays it. Uh, um, um, the, the, the act Ben, what's his Ben Schnetzer? Is that right? Ben Schnetzer, yeah. our father. Yeah, delightful. Really, really well done. I love the way the film starts and how, you know, right out of the journals, he, he sort of asks the question, you know, where do I start? Safari is a way of life. Um, he makes some really beautiful, uh, you, you, you choose some really beautiful phrases, you know, one, one record with the eyes of a child. I mean, it's just so delightful. The mystery, the wonder, the, the, the desire, right, um, the, to, to, to know and 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 to dig in, I guess, to dive in is almost a better way. But I thought it was really delightfully ironic. Where do I start? And yet, he's already started. He's already in. You know, he's yeah. he's in in, <laughs> su in such a big way. It's beautiful. Thank you. But I mean, the the credit goes to Dan. I mean, we used as many of Dan Eldon's own words as we could. Uh, in, you know, infused into dialogue when it made sense. But his journal voice, which is this, you know acid-tongued, witty, funny, um, insightful kind of voice scribbled on the margins of his journal books. That's, I think, what you're talking about in the opening sequence. His mission statement for Safari is a way of life kind of informed every decision we made. So I thought it was the right thing to start the movie like that, but also start with his visual language too. We've made this film look like the mixed-media journal pages as much as we possibly could and in that sense it doesn't look like most other films so Bronwyn is it fair to say would you would you say this and I, I don't want to be and it's going to probably come across as judgmental but I hope not it's more of a question of of kind of 
you know, you talked a little bit about this global tribe before the recording started. We had talked about the the global tribe or global cult of people who who kind of get the message behind a film like this, who kind of understand already. You know, that whole preaching to the converted thing. Um, you know, there's there's you know, Dan did start. A lot of people talk about starting. A lot of people talk about getting involved, and and they don't. And they and they move on and they whatever they turn a blind eye. There's a great moment in the film where I think he's in a, a, a journalist's office in the UK. He walks by a television, sees an image, and he just sort of mumbles, "Something should be done about that." And and the reality is he gets involved, right? And I'm always fascinated by that. Any any insight there? Well, I think you know it. It's a very um repeating thing that people find Dan's story, like I've said, and are inspired by it. And I've been trying to analyze all this time on why, because you can't really pinpoint, you know, he didn't single-handedly save the world, you know, right, or, right, right. you know, so what is it about Dan that people find so inspiring? And I have basically boiled it down to this, which is that Dan did what was possible in his own sphere. He didn't single-handedly take on the job of, you know, stopping the war in Somalia or some giant thing like that, but he changed the lives of the people who were close to him, and then they were changed by that and also passed along that same instinct, and so on and so on. So I often talk about Dan's life like a pebble you drop in the ocean and the ripples keep expanding and expanding mm, and continuing. Yeah. And I really think that people find it doable to do something in their own sphere like Dan did in his, you know, not to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders, but to change what needs changing in your, in your own little bit. Yeah. It seems to me, you know, I, I, uh, I've been teaching in international development for years at, um, uh, at Humber College, I do one course a year and postgraduate students who want to change the world. And it's really interesting to see how sometimes the cynicism can really set in. And by the time they're done the program, and these are these are students that have already done a political science degree or maybe a development degree, and they just go, you know what, it's too big. Uh, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to go get a job at the Royal Bank. Oh, no, that's terrible. Well, they have to talk about Dan. They have to read about Dan's story because, <laughs> you know, right. from a very young age, he was doing things like this. That there's We, could, we couldn't work everything into a movie for his short time on this planet. It was such a life of crowded hours. And uh, I know about a story when he was still in high school that he met a girl in the Mathari Valley which is the slums outside Nairobi, who needed a heart operation but couldn't afford it. And so they threw a big dance, you know, with people who wanted to go to a dance, and with that money they paid for the operation. So I also talk about Dan, what Dan does is kind of a stealth operation. And mm. in fact, I hope the film is too. And what that means to me is that he ropes you into his grand adventures because he, because it's something you want to do anyways. Like you want to go on... You want to go to a dance or you want to go on a teenage road trip sex safari, you know, right. <laughs> it's not hard to convince people to come on an adventure like that. But by the end of it, you've actually been doing something incredibly meaningful and possibly world changing, but it didn't feel like a bitter pill, you know, and in making the film, I hope to sort of adopt that same thinking which is i don't want to make a lesson movie i want to throw a grand adventure and i hope you come because you too want a grand adventure and maybe if by the end you think differently 
mission accomplished, you know. There's a there's a beautiful scene with the uh, with the buffalo where where you really start to understand I think anyway as as much as a film can make you understand this empathize and so on with with individuals and characters and in this sense you're 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 telling a I suppose a, a true story whatever the heck that means but anyway um, he says he says he wants to see what he's thinking when he's taking he's sort of taking a, a, a selfie with this you know old school <laughs> old school camera and as a you know as a philosopher I mean really appealing to me on so many levels but. I mean, clearly the heart of a child in a sense, Clear, and I don't mean immature, I mean, I mean, just this desire to know this, like, we, you know, this curiosity. Once again, I want to see what, what my thoughts are. And then, and more importantly, then I want to reach out and communicate that to others. Yeah, the, the buffalo image and, um, you know, phrases about buffaloes or wit, witticisms about buffaloes shows up a lot in Dan's journals, because he did have a crazy story one day of being chased by a buffalo through the bush and losing his flip-flops en route. Uh, it's called Patapatea. We've mixed it in a little bit through the film. Um, and, uh, you know, this sort of, the adrenaline rush of it, I think, is was a revelation to him, but surviving it, of course, is always <laughs> incredibly juicing. Uh, and, and actually, the, the funny story about shooting that scene is when the animal wrangler we called, you know, the production calls an animal wrangler saying, you know, read this script. We need to get some animals in here and check the buffalo scene. She closed the script and she said, not going to happen. Africa's most dangerous animal. Animal, think of another one. So I was determined to honor Dan's buffalo. And I, <laughs> I myself shot those ultra close-up shots of the most dangerous African buffalo by sitting cross-legged quietly on the floor and waiting for the buffalo to get curious about me. <laughs> oh, wow. That's hilarious. And uh, you I must... had buffalo drool on my lens to prove it. Wow. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I, I can safely say that's the first time uh, coming up on 300 interviews on Face to Face. I don't think I've ever had a chat to anyone about uh, buffalo drool before. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're breaking ground everywhere, Bronwyn. Excellent. <laughs> So, so do you really, do you feel like in some sense as a director uh, of such a huge story, I mean, you must have felt a certain responsibility to, 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 to Dan, to the family, um, but also I'm just, I guess I'm kind of wondering, do you feel like you were able to do it in, in two hours or did you need to, to think about a sequel? <laughs> oh man, I, you know, the hard part, um, with Dan's life, we were saying is such a life of crowded hours, but to make those judicious choices of what to fit in, you'd think it would fit in easily when someone has a short time on the planet, but it didn't. And then you have this other problem, which you're sort of hinting at in your question, which is that people are passionate about Dan for different reasons. Right. You know, someone will come to me and say, my gosh, those travels he made with the student transport aid, you know, inspired my life. And then someone else will come and say, my gosh, the relationship with his mother is so true to my heart. And someone else will say, I've always wanted to be a war journalist and be in the heart of the action. So which one do you pick, man? You, you know, which do you give the precious screen time to? And, and it was really difficult. Um, ultimately, I think I just had to filter all, you know, as you listen to people's input or desires, you have to filter it ultimately through a filmmaker's eye that, you know, hangs it on a central spine moving forward in a dramatic way. And so, you know, you, you listen to everybody and then by osmosis, you have to make it sort of percolate and come out whole, you know, and I don't think there's a right or wrong. Some people will say I might be wrong, 
but uh, it was the best I could do to sort of um, assimilate the passions right. that people were expressing. Right. Yeah. It must be, must be really challenging. I mean, you know, writing a book about it, you could have written three, four or 500 pages, but, but, but doing a film, you've, you've only got so much room and, and, and so, as you say, so much ground to cover. I think it's a wonderful testament, not only to, you know, the story, but kind of the metaphor for change. It seems to me, you know, you talked about that pebble, the splash and ripple effect. I mean, it really is beautiful and it's so, it's so telling, but you know, short, short life, but incredible impact. Yeah, I, I um, think people read about Dan now, and like I say, they write letters. We get letters every week still from all over the world, uh, and they talk about Dan kind of like, uh, you know, he's still around. It's more it's more people inspired by the, the life he lived, not the fact that he died. In fact, that would be a cautionary tale, which is our, the opposite of the point of making the movie, you know? It's a movie about the way he lived, and I think people cotton on to that. Do you, do you, um, do you think that he was, I mean, you sort of touch on this a little bit, uh, I guess you could probably say a lot, any war journalist, it seems to me must be, you know, you talked a little bit, uh, there was a one character who talked about, you know, seeing into the belly of the beast. There's, you know, there's something that forces you deeper, you know, you can't, you can't not come back. You can't not return. There's an adrenaline there. And, and uh, um, I don't know. So anyway, I'm I just, I'm wondering, Dan, was he, was very much a thrill seeker, I suppose. He was a skateboarder. He was a surfer of a of of a, of a very particular sort. <laughs> but <laughs> but 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 you know, he just didn't stop at the dyed hair in the van's uh, uh, skateboarding shoes. He 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 decided that he was also. Uh, I'm going to use the word arrogant. Arrogant enough to change the world. Well, um, you know, I think that first of all, he was a slightly different breed of war correspondent, war journalist. Um, after uh, after Dan's time in Mogadishu, his sister Amy made a film called Dying to Tell the Story, which is about uh, frontline journalists and what drives them to do what they do. And some kind of dismiss that job as thrill-seeking adrenaline right. junkies. Right. But, and I do think that there is something that seems uh, impossible to fathom if you've been in a situation like that and you come home and someone says, okay, now you need to do a desk job. I can't really fathom that someone would be able to make that kind of, you know, to leave it behind. But it's not just that it's adrenaline. I think that once you know something so usually devastating, hopefully with, you know, possibility in it exists out in the world isn't that that job never ends you know so i think you have to keep till people sit up and take notice you know and they do talk about that in the film the characters talk about that in the film i think dan was slightly different than the other journalists in that his true interest were was people you know uh in his travels he would uh want to meet whoever he could and you know make friends within seconds and find common ground and something uh, to talk about and, and make fun with. And um, as a journalist, he got closer to the people of Mogadishu and Somalia who would invite them into their houses. And therefore he'd get, of course, incredible pictures, incredible portraits. The other journalists would warn him against getting too close. And I, maybe you could say that he got way too close to the flame, but 
in terms of bringing the Somali voice to the world, that's what it takes. They can't just be a faceless mass of suffering people, you know? Well, I think, you know, it's really interesting your comment about going into people's homes. I mean, not only did he take pictures of people's faces, he actually, you know, looked into people's faces, if that makes any sense. You know, he, yeah. yeah, and then you really communicate that he cared about people. He he wasn't there just for the Newsweek cover. He wasn't, you know, he was there for the or, or the uh, the Pulitzer Prize. He was there because, as you said earlier, just to kind of come back full circle, he didn't really see an other in a, in a negative sense. You know, we, we we're all in this together. Kind of, you got a great little piece of um, a great little moment, I think, during a battle scene near the end of the film and the graffiti on the wall, consultation, not colonization, and um, it's just to me that's that. that that's what Dan's life, it seemed anyway, was was really all about, or at least you communicate that, this idea that it is about others, it is about listening, it is about our neighbors, and, and, and we're all in this together, you know? And I, I continue to see that as a thread in the in the in the film filmmakers that I interview and, and the writers, and I, I'm encouraged by it. Uh, but but yeah, consultation, not colonization. We gotta listen better. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, thank you for noticing so many details in the movie. <laughs> oh, oh, you're welcome. It's a prize. You get the prize. It's really impressive. Oh, nice. So well, listen, I no problem at all. It's it's uh, I, I I love doing it, but I I love those details because it they they matter they matter. Well, that you know, details is the filmmaker's job, but we have a team of people in every department adding to that desire. <laughs> So, so yeah, is, would you say, was, was Dan a good listener? Because, uh, you know, I, I think he certainly, <laughs> you also have that, that sort of scene where, you know, he's the only one who wants to move forward and everyone is kind of like going, okay, we're done. We're done here. I, I'm, I'm out. This is now, we've now crossed the line. And yet he didn't seem to feel like there was a line almost, you know, you, you mentioned him getting a little too close to the flame. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, what I do think that scene is about, and maybe, you know, at the core of Dan's character, is this, is curiosity, you yes. know, um, and of, of course, it's a big world, and you can never really know what makes everybody tick, so that curiosity, if it never gets squelched, continues to drive him, and, um, I, you know, how do you just say, okay, I've seen enough I'm done. I know it. I'm out of here. You know, right. it's just, there's no end if, if you have curiosity, <laughs> healthy curiosity, hopefully. Well, yeah. And I think, I think it's, you know, Dan, Dan strikes me well uh, as the kind of guy that was trying to shock other people out of their complacency. He was, he was never complacent in his, in, in, in his life. And that is fascinating to me for somebody at such a young age, you know, it makes me want to ask questions like, you know, how was this guy raised? What, what school did he go to? Tell me more about his friends and his sister. I want to know what books he was reading. You know, what, what is it? What, what, what were those little pebbles that were dropped into his life? You know, clearly his parents, clearly his, yeah. the culture he grew up in, but I find it really fascinating and, and really encouraging actually. Well, you've met Kathy Eldon. You've talked yes, to Kathy Eldon, indeed. so you're good. You'll find fire and spark there. Oh, that's yeah, that's, a big party equation. That's an understatement. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. You, you know, she's amazing. Um, Mike Eldon, if you meet him in 
still living in Kenya. He's amazing. Uh, it's He writes these Christmas letters where he says what he's been up to in the year. You read the letter and you just wonder why you are sitting on your couch when someone is doing so many inspiring things. But I also do think that growing up in Africa where they had like apparently two television stations, maybe three in the 90s, uh, and cell phones and internet, they would do things and they would throw costumes to go to the supermarket because it was, you know, creative and adventurous. And and, uh, that kind of energy feeds itself. And then people want to be a part of that. I, you know, over and over again, you you hear of people who knew Dan or met Dan and ended up sort of going to the desert for 12 hours, you know, or right. flying with his best friend to Moscow for a day. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> you know, do not rest because there's too much to see. Do you, do you, Bronwyn, do you think that, um, do you think that Dan uh, w- would be cynical today, looking at the world, looking at the news, uh, Donald Trump's America, uh, what's going on? Uh, we're back in the middle of another famine, it seems. Uh, oh, know, yes. Think, Identical headlines now from Somalia than it's, from it's, Dan's it's, re- it's really remarkable, right? Kind of what goes around comes around. I certainly have a few friends that are deeply cynical about where the world's heading, but I, I, choo- I choose not to be one of those people. I mean, I call myself a hopeful cynic. Um, where, 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 where do you think Dan would lie today? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's not a fair question, but uh, yeah, I'm just interested to know. Yeah, I mean, you know, there there are there is also darkness in Dan's journals where you realize that he's not just coasting through on you know some happy pill or something. <laughs> right. I think he would not, you know, I think he would be uh, not very happy with the state of things right now if you know because so much of what he believes in is uh, flipping to the dark side. But if anybody can a path through the way of hope, which is the goodness in people, it's Dan. I think that was his number one skill, finding the goodness in people. Restoring hope, which also ironically comes out in the film. Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, 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 I guess we'll, uh, we'll, we're, we're coming close to wrapping up our conversation. Maybe, maybe we can do a part two. Um, hey, can you, tell it to, can you tell us what's coming up in the near future for the film and, and for you? You've got a couple uh, showings, uh, one in Toronto in particular. Yes, I am very excited. The film is going to show this Sunday, um, May the 7th, as part of Contact, which is a fantastic uh, citywide photography and art festival that happens every year. Uh, but in conjunction with um, the Art World Gallery, am I getting that name right? Uh-oh. Art World? Can you tell me? This is the editing part. Is it yeah. Art World? <laughs> no, I think that's right. And we'll, we're okay. going to put it up online anyway. So uh, we, okay. got, we got to uh, cover Okay, good. In conjunction with the gallery showing of Dan's photographs, we are nice. screening the film this Sunday, May 7th. And um, there so far seems to be a big crowd. But myself... Producer Kathy Eldon and producer Marty Cates uh, are going to be there for Q&A, question and answer period after, and um, I hope it's a lively discussion. That sounds great. I promise it will be boring. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's going to be a very lively discussion, and I, I wish you well with that. You know, you know what? Let's 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 um, maybe kind of wrap this up with a, a, and I'd love to do a part two with you down the road, um, but but. 
uh, one of the lines Dan used or spoke to somebody, and I can't remember in the film, he talked about, you know, opening people's eyes. And that's clearly what his life was all about, as not only as a journalist, but as a, you know, just as a human being, you know, part of this, this, this global tribe that we live in. But I love the way he said, it's the only thing I can think of to do. And, and that, Clearly, that splash and ripple effect is is going to to resonate for quite some time. I'm glad those words uh, are sticking with you because I think that's the core of his character. We've been talking today to Bronwyn Hughes, uh, director of The Journey Is the De- Destination, um, and I just yeah. Again, we, we, we had a full connection, a long 30-minute connection here, uh, Bronwyn, for 12,000 kilometers apart. Not, not, not bad, eh? Amazing, amazing. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's great pleasure. Thank you very much for taking interest. Give them a gift they'll never forget, because they'll still have it years later. American Giant makes clothes that just keep getting better with age, like their iconic full-zip hoodie that's designed to last for decades. Because a gift they'll wear for years is a gift that keeps on giving. So be a gift-giving giant this holiday season at American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code GRATEFULAG23. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Code GRATEFULAG23. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.